honest with you. It's not a very fun message. And if it wasn't for the yoke of God on me, I wouldn't do it. I'm just being honest. But I believe that none of us here this morning are here by accident or here by happenstance. You didn't wake up this morning and said, I think I'll go to Prince of Peace this morning. I believe that God ordained you to be here. You and I both to be here. You're supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be here. He preordained you and I to be here even before the foundations of the world. You getting in your car this morning and driving over here 20 miles, 15 miles, 5 miles, 5 blocks, whatever it took, it wasn't by your own volition. It wasn't because, well, that's what I usually do. No, God ordained for you to be here. He ordained for me to be here. So we had better listen up this morning because God has something to say to every single one of us from the pulpit to the chairs. This is a divine appointment. In a moment, the altars are going to be open. This altar is going to be open. And if there's sin in your life, you're going to get right with the Lord this morning. Because that's what it's all about. It's not about coming to church and feeling some goosebumps and feeling good and walking out and your life still isn't changed. It's not about getting into the music and thinking, man, this was really good. I was a good music program. And, and man, that's not what it's about. If there's sin in your life and you're doing things that Jesus would never do, these altars are going to be open because that's what sin is. Sin is anything Jesus wouldn't do. Would he go where you're going? Would he drink what you're drinking? Would he smoke what you're smoking? Would he watch what you're watching? The thing is, we don't hear the gospel so clearly from our pulpits anymore. You can watch television and hear a TV preacher, and you're not going to hear this from your television. But sin is sin. It's not a popular message. Repentance is not a popular message. Those of you that are here that maybe do not know the Lord, you're going to hear the gospel this morning and you're going to get a chance to get right with the Lord. You're going to have an opportunity this morning to get right with God. If you're backslidden, you're away from God. Listen, I'm shooting at everybody. If you're backslidden, you're away from God. The altar is going to be open just for you and you're going to have an opportunity to get right with the Lord. If you're religious in this place, I hurt for you. I hurt for you. Religion. Will damn your soul. Everyone say religion. Religion. God does not take note of your religious institution. Your religious practices. As if they were some type of avenue to get into heaven. The only way to heaven church. Is what it's always been. There's only one avenue into heaven. And that's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I hurt for people who are religious. I hurt for Pastor, I hurt for them. If religion could save you, then Jesus would never have been as blunt as he was when he walked the earth and he very plainly said it. I don't care if you read from the King James, from the NIV, from the New American Standard Version, from the message. He was still very clear when he said, you whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Jesus spoke directly to the religious people of his day. He spoke to those who were fasting. He spoke to those who were praying. He spoke to those who were quoting scripture. He talked about knowing God. He talked about knowing the Father. He talked about knowing the Son of God. He talked about going after God. And the end result of that was that they highly exalted him and accepted him and worshipped him. Is that how it turned out? No. The end result was that they killed him. And they're still doing that today. Why? Because when you mess with people's religion and their status quo and their agendas, they don't want to kill you. 
I've seen angry faces. I've seen angry faces of Catholics when I've told them that there will not be one Catholic in heaven. And it's true. Just like there isn't, there isn't going to be any Baptists in heaven, no Episcopalians in heaven, no Pentecostals in heaven, no Church of God in heaven, no Foursquare uh, believers in heaven, no Nazarenes, no Methodists. The only ones that will be in heaven are those who, whose sins have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. God does not look at what church you attend and what denominational tag you claim. He looks at your heart. I'm going to read a scripture this morning. But before we do, let's pray together. I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray with all your heart. If you've never prayed, you need to repeat this prayer with me. It's easy to pray. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. I am listening. In your precious name. Amen. I'm going to try to go rather quickly. The book of Matthew chapter 7 verse 13. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life. And few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits... You shall know them. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And your name, and in your name have we not cast out devils? And in your name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I want to remind you, Prince of Peace, what we just read. Lord, Lord, can I tell you that heathen don't talk like that? He's not talking about prostitutes on the streets or drug users or those that have never even stepped inside of a church. He's talking to church people. He's talking about those who have moved about God's church. They knew the lingo. They knew exactly what to say. They were aware of the jargon. And notice what else. They didn't say, or did they say, Lord, Lord, in your name we tried to cast out devils. In your name we tried to prophesy and we tried to do many great works. It doesn't say that. It says that they actually did it. In your name we cast out devils. We prophesied. In your name we did many great works. So when you read this, keep in mind... That these are religious people that still didn't know the Lord. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Everyone say wolves. And from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert. 
remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Ezekiel chapter 22 in verse 25. If you don't know where that's at, that's between the book of Genesis and Malachi. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 25. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in the midst of her. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and profane. One version also says that they are roaring wolves. They have not taught the differences between the unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbath and I am profaned among them. I, sh- Friend, listen. This scares me. Because the Lord himself, the Bible talks about how the word of God is a sword and it's so sharp that it's able to separate. God is speaking here very clearly and it's a warning to preachers, pastor. And notice what he says. He says that they have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. We are living in perilous times and living in a time where you don't hear the difference behind the pulpit anymore. We're living in a day where even people who profess to be believers, you don't see the difference anymore. Verse 27, her princes within her are like wolves. Listen to that. Tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. Her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. I have to preach this message this morning to as many as will listen and even for those who will listen in the future, maybe on Facebook, like Brother Cyrus was saying, or an MP3. If you're listening to this message and it's the year 2026 and millions of people have disappeared, just letting you know that was the rapture. But anyway, let me move on. I believe a great revival is coming. There is still a great move of God coming to our nation. And there will still be many people involved in this great move of God while others will only watch from a distance. And I'm concerned, Pastor. I'm concerned, church. Because we are living in perilous times even within the church. While there is political celebrations that that are occurring, our nation will never be healed through an executive order. Our nation will never be healed because one party dominates the other. Healing can only come one way. And that is very clearly stated in Scripture. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I've read that Scripture over and over before, but there is so much to dissect, and I'm not even going to go on that scripture. But I feel like I kind of need to just part there just for a second, put a little quarter or a dime even in the little meter. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, quit thinking so highly, pray, seek my faith. It's not just about praying, but he's saying, seek my faith, go after me. The Bible says that. Times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. It says that in the book of Acts. You know that word, the presence of the Lord? The the word presence means the face of God, the face of the Lord. Times of refreshing will come. 
from seeking his face. You need some face time with the Lord. Okay? Some of us are so content to do things from a distance and, and have others do things and lead in prayer and pray over people and, and just worship, facilitate some songs for me and, and lead us in worship. But yet we never do it. You need some face time with the Lord. Get on your face. Seek Him out. You notice He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say pray. He continues on. Turn from your wicked ways. Repentance. Because it's not just about anybody can pray. Muslims pray how many times a day? Mormons pray. Catholics pray. Jehovah's Witnesses pray. Buddhists chant. But it's not just about praying. It's about repenting. Turning from your wicked ways. And he says, it's not until you do that. Then I will hear from heaven. So sign whatever executive orders you want to sign, pass whatever legislation that needs to be passed. But it's not until the church, if my people, it's not until the church, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek his face and turn from our wicked ways that God will rain down his presence over his church once again. We must have his fire from our pulpits once again. We must have fire at the altar once again. We must have it. If the pews are ever going to be moved, then the pulpit has to be moved first. Isn't that right? I read some scriptures about the falling away, false teachings, false prophets, and I'm not referring to this church, but be warned. Even our church, if we're not careful, we too can become corrupted and polluted. That's right. Yes, I've seen this continue for some time across the church and it scares me to death because it's the beginning of sorrows. But there has never been a time where false doctrine has been so subtle and the devil has been so busy corrupting the faith of the children of God. We must be on guard against false prophets and teachers and those who preach their own private opinions and their own judgments against the truth. Not too long ago, I met up with an old friend that I went to Bible college with. Powerfully used of the Lord. I saw him lay hands on people and I saw the power of God flow from this young man. He was in his, we were both in our early 20s. He was so hungry for the Lord. He had gotten saved at a Rafa treatment center. He had been a drug addict and got saved in his room. He cried out to the Lord and got saved. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He would lay hands on people and you would see the power of God flow from him. He was in Bible college with me, he was active in ministry. And today he's an atheist. How does that happen? Can I tell you that it takes more than just one swing of an axe to cut down a tree? It happens little by little. I left my friend fearing, thinking if it can happen to him, it can happen to me. And it made me even look at, where am I at? What holes do I have in my armor? What compromise do I have? And that I'm okay with. The enemy has a way of moving in slowly and getting people further and further away from what they first believed. And he craftily gets them to doubt the very truth about God. And if he can, even the very existence of God. And it may not happen overnight. It may not happen in a few weeks. It may not happen even in a few months. But if you do not stand guard, church, if our teenagers 
are not exposed to the presence of God and the fire of God, guess what's going to happen? This is why we can't just have a church where it's seeker-friendly and no Holy Spirit is allowed to move here. Well, what in the world do you think is going to happen to the teenagers when they're not even exposed to the power of God and the presence of God? Maybe you've been exposed to it. Maybe you've seen the presence of God. Maybe you have been in, have had an encounter with the presence of God. I know I have. I've tasted and I've seen. When I was in the Brownsville Revival, when I saw that, when I, with my own eyes, I was able to experience the presence of God so rich. But what happens if our young people never see or experience that? What would have happened if the last person who had ever experienced Azusa Street would have passed on and after that nobody even knew anything about it. I've preached from this pulpit and from other pulpits and have shared what I believe. You know what I believe about the Son of God, about the Holy Spirit, about the gifts of the Spirit. You've heard me talk about God's provision, about God's healing. I know what I believe and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you actually know what you believe. I've been in church long enough and even within the Assemblies of God and most non-denominational churches that don't even know what they believe. I have a background even with Baptist. When I went to, first went to Bible college, it was with a Baptist seminary. So I'm very, very grounded when it comes to even the Baptist faith and message. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit through my experience with the Assemblies of God and, and finishing my Bible college through with, the, with an Assemblies of God university... So I'm very well versed in what I believe, but it makes me wonder even within the assemblies and even in non-denominational churches, because I've heard people share things that I think that's not. Now, I'm not going to sit and debate with somebody in the middle of a service, but it just makes me wonder. Some would have you believe that out of respect for others, we should always keep an open mind. Brother, I believe that we're instructed in Scripture to keep a closed mind. Even Jesus kept a closed mind. Think about it. He said, other ways to God, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. You can't even get into heaven. You can't get to the Father except by me. That's a closed mind. Well, brother, that's not open-mindedness. But, 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 but listen, there are no buts according to Jesus. He was saying, if you want to get to heaven, you go through me or you go to hell. It's, there's no gray area about it. You can't go through Buddha. You can't go through Muhammad. You can't go through Gandhi. You can't go through Confucius. You can't go through anything. You can't throw, go through your good works. It doesn't matter how many years you've been a good Baptist, good Methodist, good Episcopalian, good uh, Pentecostal, good uh, whatever you want to call yourself. You can say, I'm a good grandfather. I'm a good mother. I'm a good father. I'm a good grandmother. I'm a good uncle, a good aunt. I'm a good cousin. It's not good enough. Woo. Come on. There is no other way. Brother, I've given some fat offerings. Well, there's still no other way. You're not going to buy your way into heaven. And I believe that if Jesus was still physically walking the earth today, I believe that he would be preaching the same thing he preached 2,000 years ago. Let me tell you something. If Jesus, if the message he preached 2,000 years ago was not so close-minded, they would not have put him to death. He would never have been crucified. And let me say this. If Jesus was preaching the same message that is is being preached in most churches even today, he wouldn't have been crucified. Jesus would not tone down his message if he was still walking the earth today. He wouldn't make it acceptable. 
He wouldn't make it politically correct. If you were offended, guess what you'd have to do? You'd have to just deal with it. Unlike most popular and largely accepted ministries, I do not believe that Jesus would fill arenas. I don't believe that he would fill coliseums because his message is still not popular even today. Today's message is entitled Cry Wolf. Talked about wolves in scripture. Cry Wolf. That term was used as joking around and could be seen as children were playing in the woods and one with the intention of scaring the other children would cry out, Woof! And those kids would get scared and look around and they would hide. And you'd hear the kids say, I'm just kidding. They'd go back to playing. A few minutes later, he'd cry out again, Woof! The kids would get scared. Eventually, after so many times of doing that, they weren't scared anymore. The problem here this morning is that there really is a wolf. And so when I use the title cry wolf, it's because I've seen him. I've seen him in churches. I've seen him in my marriage. I've seen him in my walk with God. From time to time, he's been lurking. I've seen him in sickness. I've seen him in broken families. He's after your soul. He's after your life. Look at me, church. He's after your children. He's after your marriage. He's after your husband. He's after your wife. He's after my wife. He's after our pastor. He's after our families. He's after our church. He's after your destiny and my destiny. He's after your mind and my mind. He's after your peace and your joy. He's after your health. And I'm concerned, pastor. Because you know why I'm concerned? Because the devil still has some tricks up his sleeve that he hasn't used yet. When Jesus Christ comes into our lives, the light of his truth drives out the darkness within our hearts. When Jesus Christ comes into our lives, the light of his truth. Everyone say light. The light of his truth drives out the darkness within our hearts. How many remember when that happened? I sure do. You were in darkness, you were bound, maybe you were caught up in drugs and alcohol or so wound up somewhere in some stale, dry religion. But the gospel came in and the gospel had a way of shining a light in that darkness that we were so caught up in. Do you remember when that happened? Do you remember when your eyes were suddenly opened? I still remember where I was when I got saved almost 27 years ago. I remember my condition. I was empty. I was broken. I was clueless. I was so bound in my sin. I'm talking a life of drugs and drinking and depression where there were days I no longer wanted to live. But I remember a youth pastor named Terry Rendon shared the gospel with me. She shared with me that Jesus loved me and had a plan for my life. And she admitted that there was nothing that she could do, but she knew the one that could. And let me tell you something, I didn't know anything about the Bible, I didn't know how to pray, I didn't know anything about church, but when I prayed, all I knew was that His light came into my life. And it was as if I could see so clearly for the very first time. And I didn't know Scripture. And later on I would read things like John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Amen. 
I remember getting up after the night that I got saved and I walked around and I don't know if this happened to you, but I know it happened to me. Almost 27 years ago, it was as if I was I would see the trees and I would see the grass and I would see the clouds and the sky and everything seemed so brand new to me. I would say, grass, you're so green. Look at the sky. It was as if my eyes had been opened after being closed for 20. It was as if I was living in some illusion until my eyes were opened. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which don't, don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, listen to that, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Church, I can never forget that day. Listen to me. I'll never forget that day. For those of you in here that you've never experienced that, you've never been saved, let me just talk to you for a second. Listen to me. No one will ever love you like Jesus loves you. I don't care if you're sitting next to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, and they tell you, honey, I love you. I love you. I love you. Friend, no one loves you like Jesus. All right. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I've been living for Jesus for 20, going on 27 years, and most of my friends that I used to hang out with back in the day are either locked up in some penitentiary or they're wasted on drugs. Some of them have went straight, but for the most part, they're lives that are wasted. He's stuck with me all the way through. He's always been there. Jesus himself said it. He said, hey, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now let me tell you something else. Your friend never died for you. The Bible says this, greater love has no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friend. Amen. Jesus loves you, sir. He loves you, sister. Come on. He knows what you're going through. Hallelujah. He knows what kind of pain sin brings. He took upon himself the sin of the world. He died so that you might live. Jesus Christ shed his blood on Calvary 2,000 years ago for you. He had rusty spike nails go through his wrist. Rusty spike nails. Not little fence nails, but long spike nails go into his feet where you can hear the crunching of tendons and muscles. His beard was plucked out of his face for you. He hung naked on a cross just for you. He endured a cat of nine tails, the Roman whip, just for you. A leather whip interwoven eight or nine times with pieces of bone and metal sticking out at the end of it. And every time they wrapped that whip around his chest, they would pull it away. They wrapped it around his stomach and pulled it away. Wrapped it around his back and pulled it away. Where historians would tell you that any time when a man endured that type of punishment, and by the time he hung on the cross, most of the time his bowels were hanging out of his side. So let me tell you, the next time you see a beautiful, peaceful picture of Jesus hanging on the cross just for you, as if there was no pain, that's not a good picture. His beard was pulled out of his face for you. He was slapped for you. He was beaten for you. He was whipped for you. He was mocked and laughed at for you. His beard pulled out of his face. He took the weight of your sin upon himself. 
Has anyone ever felt the burden of sin in this room? It's a horrible feeling. Ask any child who just did something that his parents told him not to do. He walks around with this look on his face. Why? Because he's lied to them and he knows it and he feels horrible about it, about it and he's not happy. He can no longer look daddy in the eyes. He can't look mommy in the eyes. He can't even play with his toys with peace because he feels so guilty. And this is what happens as we continue to fall deeper and deeper into sin throughout the years. That's what sin does to a person. Sin will promise you everything and leave you with nothing. Sin will whisper empty promises into your ears. Sin will caress your cheek and lure you into its bedchamber. Sin will promise you everything, heaven on earth, but give you hell for an eternity. Sin thrills, but then it kills. Sin fascinates, but then it assassinates. The wages of sin is still death. Even 2,000 years later, it still leads to death. And this is what happens. Sin weighs us down. We go through life weighed down with a burden and with a heaviness until suddenly one day says, hey, go with me to Prince of Peace. I want, to hear, I want you to hear about how Jesus can change your life. The person says, I don't know anything about this Jesus stuff, but you, you know, that person just sits there or at some other church that preaches the truth from the pulpit. And for the first time, the light of the gospel begins to penetrate through their darkness, and they begin to feel the love of God. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Yes. Something begins to happen on the inside. You begin to break on the inside, and you wonder, what is going on? Let me tell you what's going on. That is your inner man begging for more of Jesus, saying, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need more of Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need His mercy. I need His grace. Somebody do me a favor. Somebody lower the lights for me. It can be one. Just lower them just a little bit. I wish we had dimmers in here. Hey, go ahead and lower that one. We still got light from the outside. The lights are off. Church, hear me what I'm about to say. I know you can still see me because I can still see you. When the light of Jesus diminishes in a person's life or in a church, you can be sure that a wolf is lurking nearby. Friend, if you're in a church and you're playing games with God and not taking what he has done for you seriously, you'd better pay attention this morning. Pastor, we've seen it. Pastor, we've seen it. Too many times, someone begins to backslide. Then they leave the church. They were once on fire. They used to serve. They used to witness. They used to lead in prayer. Then they begin missing church and they get comfortable and they get relaxed and they get complacent. They become indifferent. And the next thing you know is they begin hearing this. hear this in the spiritual realm. I've heard this so loud. Some of you are in danger and you don't even know it. 
Some of us in this room are playing games with God and we're allowing compromise in our lives and we still want to profess to say, Jesus, we love you, but we are nothing more than the people that Isaiah prophesied about, that we draw close with our lips, but our hearts are still far from him. Keep the lights off for now. Wolf can depict false prophets and false teachers, but I want to use it this morning to depict Satan and his tactics. Whatever it is that's pulling you away, whoever it is that's pulling you away, what's pulling you away, friend? Who are you allowing to pull you away? I hate meeting people that used to be on fire. I hate it. I hate meeting people that used to be used of God. It scares me. It's kept me up at night. And I thank God for everybody that's here this morning. And know this, that I do have a burden for every person that's present here this morning. And I thank God for those of you who are on fire. But even more than for you, I hurt for the very ones that are not here. I remember a girl in the Brownsville Revival gave a testimony. They had a youth meeting. God was moving so huge in these meetings. And she came because four or five of her friends showed up to church with her. But she was weeping and weeping. And Richard Crisco was the pastor, the youth pastor during that time. And, she, and he said, you brought five to six friends. I am so happy. Why are you crying? And she said, you don't understand. I invited ten. When is the last time, believer... That you've wept over empty seats in this church. When is the last time you've wept because the presence of God was not moving in this church? When is the last time that you knew somebody was in sin, but they left in the same condition? When is the last time you've wept over a person like that and travailed in prayer over a person like that? When is the last time you've wept and travailed over the sin and compromise even in your life? I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm not here. And listen, I'm not angry this morning either. I don't want you to. I don't want to confuse anybody if I'm coming across that way. But I hurt for the ones that have fallen away, for the ones that have strayed away, for the ones who were led astray, for the ones that were sidetracked by some little division over here or some tense discussion over there. And they got discouraged. And the next thing you know, there's wolves howling outside their home. I'm crying wolf this morning, friend. Some have told me. I remember sitting down in Corpus Christi. Pastor sat me down. And you know what he told me? He said, this sin stuff, you, I, I get it, but you're taking it too serious. You can't, you can't, you gotta, you can't do that. All I'm trying to do is help you. Back in 1993, I was a summer missionary in Fort Worth in the north side of Fort Worth and there was a lot of gang activity in the north side of Fort Worth and we used to run through those streets not run but we used to walk through those streets and minister in those streets shortly before I left Fort Worth the Fort Worth police department began putting police officers on random corners in the north side of Fort Worth just to create presence see a lot of times all you have to do is just create presence and it'll deter some crime and I began thinking about that Because there's a concept to that that can even be applied in the church. 
You see, what happens, what would happen when there's no police presence? Crime would occur. Well, the same concept can apply even in church where there is no presence of God. Sin creeps in. There is no power of God. The right from wrong in our lives being present is not there. How many of you know, church, we need His rule and His authority to be present in our lives. We need somebody, somebody in our lives to tell you to speak into your lives that can say, No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit fornication. You shall not steal. You shall not do... You shall not. Come on. Amen. False doctrine, false teaching is treated in Scripture as life-threatening. So why don't we treat it that way? Wolves are used as types because they were seen as fierce creatures that went after sheep. And I don't have to go through every verse that talks about wolves, but Genesis 49, 27 talks about their fierceness. Jeremiah 5, 6 talks about how they're night creatures. John 10, 12 talks about how they attack sheep. Matthew 10, 16 talks about how they're wicked. Ezekiel 22, 27 refers to them as wicked rulers. Acts 20, verse 29 talks about how they're false teachers. And Habakkuk 1, 8 compares them to fierce enemies. Say this with me. When the light of Jesus Christ diminishes in my life, I can be sure a wolf is lurking nearby. I got to hurry. You don't have to repeat that one. But I got to hurry. I need to hurry. I really do. Satan will use people to draw you away. It can be another believer, it can be a boyfriend. I used to call them foo-foos and fee-fees when I was a youth pastor. What foo-foo, what fee-fee are you going to allow to stray, keep you going astray? Pull you away and get you distracted. Could be a neighbor, it could be anybody. They come to you in sheep's clothing and they appear simplistic and gentle. They claim to be members of God's true flock, but they have an outward appearance. But on the inside, there's something totally different. Jesus described the wolf as ravenous. Who is it that you're allowing to draw you away? What's distracting you, friend? Who's distracting you? Is it Facebook? Is it Pinterest? Is it your cell phone? Is it your tablet? What is it? Who's guiding you somewhere differently? Who's hindering you from going after God? The Bible talks about strange doctrines, but I'm going to go past that. Let me skip over. Not only does... The enemy comes as a wolf and presents strange doctrines, but he also leads you in strange directions. Second Timothy chapter 3 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without any natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, heavy mind or high minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, lead away, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Can I tell you that when Satan comes with a false doctrine, let me tell you the false doctrine. I can talk about false doctrine. This is false direction. But let me tell you about a false doctrine. 
I don't want to skip over that too quickly. Let me just backtrack just a little bit if you'll let me. I'm not talking about false doctrine of Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, but let me tell you something. I've seen sincere believers, even in church, one day in church, and next thing you know, I see them, and they're now Jehovah's Witnesses. How did that happen? How do you, one day, you're calling out to God, and you're so on fire for the Lord, and then all of a sudden, you're a Jehovah's Witness, claiming that there is no hell. God is a God of love, and He would not, if He's love, He wouldn't be able to create hell. That Jesus was not God. How is it that you can deny that? How is it that one day you can be an on-fire believer and the next thing you know, you're claiming Mormonism where you're claiming that Jesus and Michael the Archangel are one and the same? Or no, no, I take it back. Jesus and Beelzebub or Lucifer were brothers. But the one false doctrine I want to talk about is a doctrine of hyper-grace. Because there is a doctrine being taught from our pulpits, Pastor. A doctrine that's being taught through our radio, through our television, through the internet. And that doctrine is saying, you're okay. You can do whatever you want to do. You can live the way you want to live. You can be homosexual and still get into heaven. You can be an adulterer and still get into heaven. You can be a fornicator and still get into heaven. You can do whatever you want. In fact, in some churches, they have church-sanctioned singles parties where there's drinking and sanctioned by the church. You're not doing it in the clubs, but we're doing it in the church, and it's sanctioned by the church. We're living in some crazy times. So he brings this strange doctrine, and he leads us in a strange direction. But can I tell you, where he really wants to take you is a strange destination. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall not there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is thirsty of a fountain of water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Most of us know that scripture. But I've seen sincere believers lured to the right and lured to the left. What's going to lure you away? What's going to lure you aside, my friend? What's it going to take to pull you aside? Well, Brother Aaron, I'd never fall away. Friend, we've seen some powerful preachers with worldwide ministries on television fall away. What makes you any different? I can hear the screams in hell, the anguish in hell, saying, tell them the truth. Somebody tell them the truth. Let me tell you something, church. It's too late to pray when you get to the judgment seat. It's too late to weep when you get to the judgment seat. It's too late to get serious when you get to the judgment seat. It's too late to surrender when you get to the judgment seat. So here's my big concern. That if I run into you at a restaurant or a Spurs game or at the mall a year from now, I want to see you in love with Jesus. 
I want to see you on fire. I don't want to come walking up to you and see that you're no longer serving. You're no longer going after God. I don't want to come up to you and hear you say things like, brother, you're just too rigid with this sin stuff. I'm not like that. I go to a church that loves Jesus just as much as you do. And my pastor says we don't have to really strive for anything because God's done it all. And and we don't even have to share our faith because he says it's a personal thing. Some of you here this morning may think this message is a waste of my time since it really has nothing to do with you. But please understand, it's so easy to be deceived. That's why since 1996, I've simplified my messages. You're going to hear about Jesus. You're going to hear about the blood shed at the cross. You're going to hear about God. You're going to hear about holiness. You're going to get about, hear about getting the sin out of your life and living holy and how God will bless you if you live holy. Without holiness, no man will see God. You're going to hear about how your iniquity has separated from your God. You're going to hear things about how not give up, about not giving up about going after God. Never, never, never stop going after God, church. Never stop going after God. Do you know why? Because the moment you do, you hear this. It's dark in here. When the light of the gospel diminishes in my life, in your life, or in this church, you can be sure wolves are lurking nearby. This is what I want to do this morning. So easy. Let's stand again. So easy. If there is sin in your life, you need forgiveness. Listen, you may be in your thing. There's nothing major. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. Sin separates us from God. If there's sin in your life, if you need forgiveness, this altar is open right now. If you need to get right with the Lord, you need to come right now. You don't have to wait for music, although some will be playing. You don't have to wait for any of that. If there's sin in your life, you need to come right now. Get right with God and get the wolves out. We're going to get the wolves out. We're going to make sure there's no room where the light is shining. Let's get the lights back on real quick. Let me tell you something. When there's light, wolves leave. When there's light, wolves don't want to be seen. They take off. If there's sin in your life, anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? I don't care what kind of compromise it is. Doesn't matter. We're going to get right with the Lord. We're going to get right with the Lord. Jesus, I need the Lord. Come on, right where you're at. Lord, I need you. I need you in my life. Forgive me. Show me my heart. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness with your precious blood. Jesus, I confess you are Lord of my life. Take control. Set me on fire. Set me on fire. I give my life and I surrender to you. Lord, I pray a hedge of protection from every wolf that would try to lurk nearby. Jesus, be exalted. Be exalted. Be lifted up in my life. In your precious name. Amen. Just right where you're at, just worship the Lord. Just worship the Lord. Right where you're at, just worship the Lord. Just worship Him. Just thank Him. 
thank Him right where you're at. Thank Him. Come on. Jesus, we love you this morning. We love you. We love you. We love you. Only you can cleanse. Only you can wash us. Only you can forgive us like you do. Only you can make us worthy, Lord. Only you. Only you. Only you, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you. We receive your love. We receive your grace. We receive your mercy. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Set us on fire, Father. Set this church on fire. In Jesus' name, Father, we come against every wolf that would lurk nearby. We bind you, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and we say we are covered by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, 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 break that addiction in the name of Jesus, Lord. Oh, we plead the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for Nancy, Lord. We thank you for the Lord of the Lord. We thank you.